Welcome everyone today. Uh, we're here for episode one of the Save Yourself podcast. We appreciate you joining. I'm David Moon, CEO of Arcs Nimbus, and I'm Tara Vincent, Operations Manager for Arcs Nimbus. Thank you, Tara, and thank for thank you for being here today. Uh, we really wanted to introduce an overall view of the landscape on risk and actually see what's happening out there. And we'll take a look at a number of questions today. Uh, first and foremost, uh, risk is something that is just inherently pervasive in the environment. And of course, here at Save Yourself, we talk primarily and focus on digital risk, cybersecurity risk, etc. And yet risk is something that, of course, has existed throughout all the history of mankind. And starting in roughly the 1600s, uh, society started to be able to figure out various ways of dealing with risk. And in particularly, the insurance industry uh, developed and emerged around that time. And now, of course, insurance is pervasive. And one of the key things that happens there is that insurance inherently allows us individuals, corporations, organizations, etc., to transfer risk. So it lets me take a specific risk and pay a third party known as an insurance company to take on that risk on themselves. And therefore it lessens the risk on me. You know, sometimes it lessens most of the risk, sometimes just a little bit. And uh, other times, certain types of risk transfer the entirety to the insurer. Uh, so that's an important dynamic here. And we, of course, track that in our practice uh, because it's very much a contributor to reducing risk. Um, Tara, I think to jump into this, I think you mentioned you had some, uh, some questions, observations on this. I did. So I never actually realized how costly these losses were until I joined ArcSnibus. So what's really causing this and why doesn't this issue get more attention? Well, that's that's a really important and kind of central piece to uh, every organization's ability to address its risks. I mean, first and foremost, it's kind of, you know, I do, I do have to accept that I have risk in order to really focus on it and do something about it. And well, quite often to start with, Many companies are, and rightly so, you can absolutely understand this, they're focused externally on the outside environment and uh, making revenue goals, uh, pursuing certain uh, deals, business deals, and uh, partnering and other things that are out there in the external world. And that's much focused on the exposure that they may have in terms of risk uh, in, in inside the organization. So that's kind of the first bias that we bring to it quite often. And then, you know, the, the losses, many times the potential losses are not properly categorized and measured and projected by the company. So if I knew, for example, that I had a, I was facing a $100 million loss or a $30 million loss, whatever it may be, uh, I don't necessarily understand that or have knowledge of that loss kind of uh, being exposed to that loss and, and what kind of damage it could create. So often that's, that gets minimized. Um, 
And uh, I don't know, Tara, did that that kind of address that that area? It did. Um, so why is it so important to have these quantitative understanding of these risks? Yeah, no, that's a good one. And and you know, so what we've learned, what we've seen in most uh, enterprises that we've worked with, and then some small and medium businesses as well, is that the motivation to really focus on risk reduction is in many cases not really there because uh, they don't have an understanding of the of the economic loss associated with these risks. And that really becomes a motivator. So getting a quantitative understanding of the risks is very important. Many times we'll see companies that will say, well, you know, my likelihood of something happening is this. Well, of course, likelihood is not a mathematical construct. So you can't really use that in a quantitative model. Probability is actually a mathematical construct that you can use to project a quantitative understanding of these risks. So many times the companies don't even have possession of the data to drive this quantitative understanding. Everything in the business ultimately is usually a decision that's around dollars and cents. And so if 90% plus of our business decisions in or of any company are being made based on dollars and cents, then not having a dollars and cents understanding of these risks almost kind of puts them outside of the realm of business decisions. And that's, that's not a great place to be. Uh, and so then, you know, it may be, well, if we're not able to determine what the loss could be or what's at stake here, then we just kind of move on and we address other things in the business. But that, that doesn't mean that these grave dangers and massive potential losses actually went away. It just means that we're not looking at them because we didn't have proper understanding of them. Right. So are there lessons people can draw from elsewhere in getting control of the situation? Well, we think that there are, and of course, um, there are many risks in just life in general that can be addressed. Uh, and especially here in uh, 2020, uh, it's a, a wonderful thing that we, as a society, have the technologies we have and the and the sophistication in many of our business processes and and uh, and computing applications and other places uh, to go after so many variables and and uh, sources of loss or sources of uh, risk in in several ways. And so if you think about it, there are a lot of parallels here. Um, if I go and I think I've got a risk of a medical condition, my doctor can actually order up certain examinations that will use a scientific process and mathematical models to illustrate what my exposure to those risks actually are. So an MRI machine, for example, is a an approach that uh, can highlight where there are certain risks and not only uh, how severe they may be, but also where they're originating from. And that's very important because then that can guide my uh, attending physician and, and the rest of the team on what the, the next options are. 
Is it surgery or is it, what do they do to go after this particular risk? Um, we also see uh, in terms of risks, uh, many types of insurance that have been calibrated over time. So for example, uh, if someone's insuring a warehouse, let's say here on the south side of Chicago, they can, uh, the, the insurer can actually determine what the risk exposure is and it has to do with data. And the data in this case is what's the proximity to the firehouse, nearest firehouse. Uh, what kind of sprinkler system is in this location and, and facility and how effective is that type of sprinkler system over and above say other sprinkler systems? Um, what is the warehouse made from? What are the materials? Is it wood, steel, brick, et cetera? Um, and as you may know, the insurance industry has tested materials and has data on how hot does a, a brick have to get, for example, before it bursts into flames. Literally, there's, there's data on these things. Um, and all the way down to what are the contents of the warehouse? How flammable are they? How are they stored and stacked? And so a lot of different things. So one of the things we've learned in cybersecurity is that we can get at very similar data and yet it takes a lot of effort. And many times uh, until recently, we haven't had the historical uh, 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 depth of the amount of time, I guess is what I'm looking to say, uh, of history that, you know, in uh, insuring warehouses, we've got history that goes back to the 1800s, not so in cybersecurity. So we're all just getting to that point now. Okay. Uh, so what do you make of what we're seeing happening out there with the attackers, the effects of the pandemic, and the trends as we head into 2021? Wow, that's a lot. You've you really been thinking about this, Tara. <laughs> Questions. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Well, you know, it's, it, but that's a great one because it's on the minds of many people right now. And, you know, probably... A year from now, maybe we'll be past the pandemic entirely. It won't be an item, <clears throat> not as many people as focused on it, no doubt. <clears throat> but there are lessons we can learn from this time as well, which are very important. So one thing we're seeing is that attackers have very much taken advantage of the work from home situation. And that's in a variety of ways. So the way that they've kind of organize things like social engineering, uh, like uh, uh, pirating uh, certain trains of uh, email activity, et cetera, just uh, opportunistic with respect to uh, the work from home uh, trend that's developed this year. And obviously just a very dramatic trend. Um, also, when companies are scrambling as they are now, and this, this is accelerated. There's some very good statistics on this from Gartner and others. Um, the acceleration of digital transformation. So that's how do I get my products, my services, et cetera, on the web, <clears throat> excuse me, so that they're more accessible and I have an opportunity set of getting past, obviously, brick-and-mortar retailing and, and other things like that. And obviously, any of us who have a favorite restaurant that's still in business at this point, 
know that they have struggled mightily to get to the takeout orders, the online ordering, the delivery models, et cetera, complete transformation of the restaurant business. And that ripples through in a variety of different industries as well. Uh, so that's one example. And then uh, the effects of the pandemic as a result have been both primary in terms of limiting people's movements and uh, activity and transportation options and other things, but also secondary. And in terms of you know the effects of the pandemic on different business models and opening up additional threat surface and other areas. Uh, so the trends as we head into 2021, a lot of them we're hearing from cybersecurity professionals, and and I've, uh, as you know, been a practicing CISO in the past. I was CISO for Mesero Financial and CIO for Fortune 500 companies. Uh, what we're seeing is that budgets have largely been frozen so that the attackers, well, it's now opened up uh, an opportunity for attackers to expand their efforts because of budgets being frozen. Uh, we had a uh, prospect organization we worked with recently that was doing some uh, home medical devices and allowing that uh, data from those home medical devices to flow over uh, home routers, uh, cable modems, that sort of thing that were very, very poorly protected. And yet they didn't have the budget because of the budget constraints. They didn't have the budget to be able to address this, uh, but the company rolled it out anyway. And so many times uh, what we've seen, and th this has been an accelerated trend because of the pandemic, is a new business model or a, a new product, perhaps a connected product, et cetera, has been rolled out. And the attention to cybersecurity risk has been minimal. So you have something new that is oftentimes looked at as a revenue source, revenue producer and opportunistically, that actually we have not uh, properly protected because we didn't understand the risk dynamics or maybe the, the, the treatment of risk was an afterthought, uh, especially cyber risk. Uh, and here again, because companies don't have the means, many cases to understand it or properly analyze it uh, and, and categorize it, that they, they simply may be inclined to throw up their hands and say, well, we've got to roll out the new product anyway. And uh, so this is, this is a great danger now. Heading into 2021, what we're seeing is that a number of organizations are now starting to revisit their budgets for next year and say, you know, we've, we've simply, we can't push off for a second year attend to the cyber risks, the digital risks that we have exposure to. And so we need to do something. But now as they look to revisit that, the landscape is different. The business environment is different. The economy, is different in the United States in particular. And uh, what what do we do differently? And they're, they're a little bit at a loss for that. You can't just really take the 2020 budget and stamp it onto 2021. Uh, you, you've got to be a little more sophisticated than that. So we see companies really struggling to get a better picture of where these risks are and asking, well, how do I, how do I really target my efforts, my investment, my, my capital, my 
uh, operating expense, et cetera, to the places where the risk is the greatest heading into 2021. And many times the business and the outside environment looks so fundamentally different from anything that we thought we were starting with in 2020 that you simply have to recalibrate from the ground up. And, and you know, it, it really is a, a great place to be now kind of stopping, taking time out and looking at what is the stuff that I need to do differently in 2021 at a more sophisticated level of analysis. And, and that's really what we're seeing that, that so many organizations are really benefiting from they take, take that approach to it. So with that being said, what are companies doing about risk management currently? And is it really up to today's situation, the challenge of it? Yeah, no, that's that's a really good question because we see a variety of things and actually some of which are, are fundamentally out of phase with reality. And, and usually when you when you see that um, kind of lack of alignment, there are two places where that's coming from. <clears throat> One of them is we've made a lot of efforts out of the last 10 years, and I know for certain that many cybersecurity leaders are a little bit uh, worn out, if you will, from getting beaten over the head about this, but we, we have made some progress around getting the cybersecurity efforts aligned with the business and getting them to a point where they're business driven and not simply technology driven. Now, you know, that sounds kind of like maybe a, a sort of esoteric kind of uh, abstract distinction of sort, but in reality, uh, driving risk management and uh, almost any other type of risk management is driven by the, the business requirements. So credit risk, third party risk, uh, uh, counterparty risk rather, as well as uh, property and casualty risk and errors and omissions risk. And you can just kind of go on down the list. Most of those other risks are driven as a result of business dynamics. And here again, what's, what may have limited that and what co companies are really doing currently is uh, their ability to understand cybersecurity risk. And so in many ways, these practices that are common throughout the business have not really come to cybersecurity as yet. Um, and that now is, is changing. So that limitation is starting to appeal away. Um, the other uh, of, the, of the two conditions that we see are that companies have been really kind of um, almost at the limit of what they can do with opinion-driven or, uh, or uh, professional judgment-driven, I guess the other phrase you could use, um, programs around risk management. And, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> that what's what's happened is they've kind of driven those as far as they could go so things like the the fundamental risk register concept that's a 20th century technology that's kind of uh continued to move forward but still so much of the data that we use in risk registers and particularly that companies use overall around digital risk is is really when you get down to it derived from uh professional opinion and expert judgment so 
we, you know, it's, it's sort of, um, this isn't probably a completely correct analogy, but it's sort of like if I was driving down the road in my car and there were five people in the car with me and I, I said, well, you know, what, what do you think, uh, Sam, what do you think that, um, would be the proper insurance premium I should pay on this car? What do you think that would be the, uh, the loss if, uh, if, if I had an accident that, uh, gouged the bumper on my car or what, you know, this sort of an opinion driven kind of thing. And it's very difficult to get down to, uh, a, a really good fact base with that versus in that example, of course, the insurance company has thousands of examples of my particular car that I'm driving and what the cost of replacing the bumper would be, what the, what the probability of an accident involving the bumper might be, uh, et cetera. Lots and lots and lots of data that we can't possibly uh, replicate ourselves as, as uh, one individual, et cetera. And so what they're really doing today about risk management is quite often not up to the challenge and uh, that, that we really we really need to advance things. So um, that's sort of a long answer. But the, the other piece to this is uh, uh, if you said to the average organization, where are you in terms of managing the, these risks, let's say on a scale of one to five, and what would happen is that many times there's just so much more we could be doing or the company it turns out is really at like a let's call it a two and a half level on a scale of one to five and then the the issue becomes well you know what do i do to advance things for myself <clears throat> excuse me and in order to advance things i have to actually know where i am today on a fairly reliable basis and only then can I have the conversation internally among the leadership team about where do we really want to get to with respect to risk? And how long are we willing to take to get there? And then, uh, and only then can we really determine what are we willing to spend for that, that outcome? So we're kind of uh, often, and I would say probably 95% of the time, if not greater. And we've had this conversation, by the way, in at least a dozen of the Fortune 100 out of the last year or so. Uh, so we, we've gotten firsthand experience with this. Around 95% are really kind of at a point where they can't with certainty know where they are in terms of the risks on any kind of scale, one to 10, one to five, whatever scale you want to determine. And as a result, it's very difficult for them to have the, the conversation internally about um, how do we get, not only how do we get, but, but when can we get to a better place? How much better can we really get realistically? What can we expect? Because risks never go to zero, of course. And what is what is it that it's it's going to take from a, a time and money standpoint to get us there? And are we comfortable with that? Uh, and and then from there you can go to adjusting that. Maybe you invest more. Maybe uh, you do it in a different way. Uh, maybe you take a, a more radical and aggressive approach to risk, et cetera. But you have to have that conversation first 
before you can really get yourself to the point of of having a, a plan that works and is reasonable for the business. So just to sum up, what would a small, mid-sized, or even a large company do to really get serious about attacking these damaging and, and costly risks? Well, you know, that's really at the center of all of this. And so um, I appreciate uh, you asking that one. I mean, it's, it's you know, and, and many times when we talk about small, medium-sized businesses, um, they do not have the professional staff or even cybersecurity professionals in many cases. It's just the IT folks that are kind of addressing all of this. And uh, so organizationally, they're a little bit um, handicapped, uh, if you will, around addressing these risks. And and yet they may have, and we find this all the time, they may have discomfort around, am, am I spending too much? I You know, I keep having to spend more on cybersecurity risk, and I don't know if I'm spending more than I should, less. Uh, I just have this general discomfort. That's very common. And so understanding first and foremost for the small and medium-sized companies, what am I really getting for what I'm spending? Do I understand what I'm getting for what I'm spending? And then and only then you can really go on to, and for what I'm spending today, am I spending it in the right places? So that's the second piece about getting really serious is understanding what are the effects of what I'm spending already? Because by virtue of whether it's my current budget or certain programs or projects I've got in place to address these risks, I'm making a commitment, I'm making a statement that it's worth X for me to get at these risks. But that doesn't, that's entirely different, of course, from saying the things that I'm actually spending on are going to be effective in getting at these risks. So we think it's very important to also get alignment with the regulators, with the uh, what's called the NIST 800-53 standard, which is the common most central standard for all cybersecurity risk management. Uh, and that is from the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST. You can look it up online, NIST 800-53 standard uh, and framework. And that allows me to know, and it really guides the process on knowing where are the areas that I should be targeting? Where are the areas where I have additional exposure that I might not have been aware of in the past? And uh, all of that can be framed in terms of these NIST 800-53 standards, as well as other standards that relate to them. And uh, in terms of uh, uh, large companies really getting serious, uh, that's getting traceability back to this cause and effect concept, uh, number one. And number two is getting to a data-driven basis for my cybersecurity efforts, my digital risk efforts, so that I say, uh, I'm taking this action, and along with the data-driven approach and the traceability, I, I get this kind of re result. And so that we can uh, continue to refine and refine and refine our efforts to the places that are going to give us the best results for the investment that we're making. And so in essence, if you think about, it, it's kind of like, and some, many organizations have this somewhere in their culture, 
And that is the concept of Six Sigma or total quality management or even lean. And taking those concepts and applying them to cybersecurity is very, very, very valuable uh, when we're really trying to get serious about going after these these costs and uh, and and harm really associated with cybersecurity risk. Um, that is something that works in every part of the organization. It works in HR, it works in operations, plant, capital, equipment, planning, et cetera. And so it also works in cybersecurity. So let's take the principles that we apply and that are really working for us in other areas of the company, other areas of the organization, and let's start applying those to cybersecurity as well. All we really need is the data and the proper analysis, and that's really what we're in in the uh, business to provide. And so those are becoming much more available and on a realistic basis. Um, so I think we're, we're just about out of time. Uh, and uh, again, really want to thank everyone for taking the time. Uh, thank you, Tara, for being part of today's session. Anytime. Wonderful. And uh, as you get uh, questions, please uh, forward them to us at info at com. We're very keen for your questions. We'll cover those in upcoming episodes. And uh, do take advantage of the uh, free offers that we have on our website for impact analysis and white papers, case studies, et cetera. Uh, uh, all of this is part of our mission in life to bring understanding and action plans against cybersecurity risk to every enterprise worldwide. And so we really appreciate your interest in this area and your attention and uh, do uh, join us on the journey and follow and encourage others who have an interest in this area to follow as well. Thanks very much.